HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Look, Chava, a check from La Luna Mescal de Michoacan. Wow, Lou, what are we going to do with that? We're going to strap ourselves in for another episode of Agave Road Trip brought to you by La Luna Mescal de Michoacan. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Periban. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast where we attempt to teach gringo bartenders something about agave in rural Mexico. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. So today we're going to talk about roasting the agave. Uh, the previous podcast talked about harvesting it, and after you harvest it, you roast it. Yes, but I think something that people don't really think about, or I've never really had a, a length conversation about it, is carrying that heavy pineapple, that heavy piña from where you cut it to the place where you're going to roast it is probably 30% of the job. Oh, they are heavy 30? thing. Yeah, it's, it's painstaking. It's really painstaking. So you carry that, you chop it into pieces that are manageable because mm-hmm. as we discussed, they can be 200 kilos yep. and you don't want to be carrying that and throw it in, you know, just uh, handling. And you're doing this sometimes up on mountainsides. And that's why the donkeys are always there. Oh. You know, like you, you need some serious help. These things are heavy and aggressive and they have, uh, they'll give you a rash. Like you don't, you don't want to sleep with those things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because Lord knows you've slept with enough things that give you rashes. You've learned your lesson. I don't want to say anything okay, about that. Okay. That's a, that's a hard pass. <laughs> okay. So uh, you've, you've harvested the agave and you've brought it back to your palenque, the place where you distill, and uh, you're going to roast it. And how do you roast it? In the horno. And I say horno and I refer to the Spanish word for it because every time I try to explain this in English, I, I just it's, I just can't. Like it's I have never oven. seen well like yeah, but not really. I haven't seen anything like that before. You've never been to Hawaii then to see people cooking pig. I haven't. So so it, like in essence what they're doing is the, to cook the pig, they have a hole in the ground, it's lined with stones, they start a fire. The fire goes out, the heat is now in the earth and in the stones in that pit. They throw the pig in, they cover it with dirt, and they let it sit for 24 hours before pulling it out. In this case, sometimes more, and I think there's plenty of ways you can mess it up. Like, it's a bear, it's also one of the most difficult parts of the process. It's where you can lose tons of agave at a time if that thing is not cooked correctly. If you overcook it, you lose it? If you undercook it, 
Oh. And sometimes if you overcook it. But I think we're talking, about, we had a, lot, a lengthy discussion about this with, with Catalina Navarro. We were in the Mixteca Alta. And she's a newbie in the mezcal making thing. She's not a palenquero of four generations. She started 20 years ago. <laughs> she's a newbie. She started 20 years ago. <laughs> well, in, the, in mezcal country, she's a newbie. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and, fair. That's uh, fair. And, that's beautiful and yeah, fair. Yeah. And, and I think it was something very interesting that she told us of many ways in which you could mess it up. Do you think it will be a good idea to listen to her? Let's let's roll her tape from our uh, our visit with her in November of 2019. It didn't cook properly because it was the first time we were doing it. And we didn't know how. And yes, the first time we struggled a lot because we lost all our agave. But the second time, we did get it right. The main problem was that it wanted more dirt on top, not to give any chance for the steam to escape. Not even a little bit of steam should be wasted. If you see that the dirt on top is wet, you're losing steam. And you should top it up with more dry dirt, because it is not the hot stones, but the steam that really cooks the agave well. Okay, so there is the word from Catalina, how you can mess up your orno. So your your oven as you're cooking the agave. But assuming you haven't messed it up, what's going on in that pit? Well, as we discussed in our first episode about agave, these plants are very smart. So they are full of sugars in the middle of the desert where there's nothing to it. What they did was a very smart trick. They made very long chains of sugars so they're undigestible. If you try to eat them, if a cow tries to eat them, they're just going to have some nasty diarrhea. and As opposed to the pleasant diarrhea. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Lou, sure. for the very graphic image. I'm there anyway, for you, Chava. <laughs> what you do during this cooking, it's called hydrolysation, which <laughs> is the fancy word to say you're cooking that thing, you're breaking those long chains of sugars, and you're making them digestible to yeasts. To yeast, so they become fermentable sugars through this process. Correct. And not only for yeast, also for humans. Actually, mm-hmm. the first access to agave as, a, as, as an eating resource that Mexicans had was cooking that thing and eating as a candy. And it was huh. a common thing to find in Oaxacan markets. I haven't found any in many years now, but it's a very delicious one. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. So then uh, that's not the only way you could cook it though, right? No, well, you've seen the higher technological, just like an like a, an autoclave that just like looks. How do you ways say ways that you can make, like giant pressure cookers that you can cook them in? You can cook them in an ovens. Um, you could shred them and then just cook the liquid that comes out of that shredded agave. There are a lot of different ways to cook it. Well, a lot of people have been interested in those sugars for sure. Yeah, you know. So, so what's the benefit to cooking it this really difficult way? Why is she spending so much time doing this? deliciousness deliciousness and what's the deliciousness well you'll have to taste it and i think that's (laughs) why uh the next segment is going to make all the sense in the world okay so we'll talk about that in the next oh in the next segment no you're talking about the third segment today oh so we've got a section that we call agave saves the world in which we talk about different ways that agave actually saves the planet and my favorite story about agave saving the planet is with our friend eduardo anales Uh, Lalo from Santa Catarina, Minas, Oaxaca. Lalo, for years, uh, had this frustration because his town would experience uh, every six, seven, eight years uh, a drought and every seven, eight, nine years El Nino rains. When there's drought, there's uh, no water, no water, no farming, no farming, no work. 
and the adult males would leave town to go make money and send home. Yeah, and, and in Oaxaca, it's ex, they, they're in a very ex, extremely difficult situation because most of the food that is eaten in Oaxaca is not produced in Oaxaca. Huh. And you've seen this every time you drive around. Yep. There's not a lot of farming land. You'll see a little, you know, corn crops and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, but usually that's just for the people making it. Correct. Yeah, growing it. Huh. But then the other side of the problem, that El Nino rain would create these mudslides in this town. So we got the women in town to volunteer for two weeks building stone walls of about a foot high up and down the mountains. Now when it rains, the water pools, the soil's enriched, and you got grasses and trees growing where they literally hadn't in decades. No more, uh, no more mudslides, right? Yeah, and you took me to see that, and I was baffled about in Oaxaca, it's very hard for communities to organize. <laughs> I mean, like, it was like, there's a joke. If you can put together a project in Oaxaca, you can put it together anywhere. Even the cheese. You've seen the Oaxacan cheese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all tangled? Yeah. They say Oaxacans are so difficult that they even will tangle their cheese. So let's say, like, everybody has an opinion mm-hmm. in the communities. And to see a community that work together in such an efficient and wonderful way, it's very inspiring, I have to say. Yeah, and it, it, Lalo, who's really, like, he's the man. And people really respect Lalo. And even having said that, he told me it took something like 13 to 15 years for him <laughs> to convince the people in town to do this. But, but he did. He convinced the women to build those, those stone walls and then the men to, uh, to build these dams on the reservoirs that were at the bottom of the stone walls in the mountains. So the water that did trickle down ended up creating something like 40 reservoirs that in, I want to say it was 2016, maybe 2017, they only had eight days of rain. But they never ran out of water. Literally, this project, Lalo, this this maestro mescalero, saved his town by creating water reservoirs. Water is the mother of everything, man. Yeah. And rural Mexico, that's why it's called rural. (laughs) (laughs) Without water, you cannot do anything. Without water anywhere, you can't do anything. Um, So, yeah. So... So I love that the ingenuity of this mescalero is what saved the community. So that's you know, so that's that's the uh, that's the agave saves the world segment. But why don't we also taste some of the uh, the spirits that Lalo made? Which is, for my almost humble point of view, one of the some of the most beautiful expressions I ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. So what we're gonna taste today? Uh, I was looking for an espadine in the basement, but I couldn't find any. Um, because your basement is craziness. It's a little crazy. Yeah, the, it's just so full with stuff. Uh, actually, when I walk in there the first time, I knock something down. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, you I, did. Can you remember that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It took me a minute. To, yeah, no, I, I I had forgiven you, and now the anger's back. <laughs> um, so what we're gonna taste today is a barrel. That he made, I want to say, in 2017, 2018. So it's, uh, the barrel is a varietal of agave. Scientific name, Agave Karwinski. It's one of the Karwinskis. And, uh, and it takes how long to reach maturity, you think? Oof. Like, again, this is a contentious. <laughs> right. Fair enough. But it, it, like, it, it depends where it was growing. Yeah. Like, but eight to 15 years? Yeah. That's, that's eight to 15 years. Somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. So he's roasting his uh, agave in a stone lined earthen oven, just uh, like Catalina. Uh, he's roasting it underground for seven days. He's milling it by hand using wooden mallets. He is fermenting open air in wooden barrels and distilling in a wood fired clay pot still. Yes. And I promise I wouldn't do slurping sounds where we were drinking this, but I don't know if I can comply. Cheers. Lou. Right back at you, Chava. Mm. And I think like Karwinskis are definitely one, some of my favorite agaves just because they are grassy and beautiful and bright. And I don't know for you, but even if they're 
all Karwinskis, they all taste so different. They give different names to the Karwinskis, like Barril, Madrequiche, Queche, Tobasiche. Oh, it uh, hurts my head to think about all the names because then, like, you, you, you'll get a Queche in Lalo's town that isn't a Karwinski, but it's a Car. Like they use Queche as a name for Karwinskis in so many other communities. It get oh, it hurts my head. I can't keep track of it all. Yeah, but I think that just makes it extremely exciting because it becomes some some sort of like treasure hunt. Where it's like, where's that? You're never sure of what you're drinking so many of the times. Yeah, that's right. That's what hurts my head. So instead, I just stop thinking about it and I just find things that I like to drink and I remember the names of the people who made them. And then I go looking for more of those spirits. And if you want to taste something as, you, road tripper, want to taste something as delicious as we're tasting right now, you want to look for Lalocura is the name of the brand that is imported into the USA. Uh, La Locura, and this is the Barril, made by Eduardo Anles from Santa Catarina, Minas, Oaxaca. Go there, and if you have the chance to visit him, it's such an experience. It is. Uh, so I think we're going to call this a wrap for this episode, and then we're going we're gonna to start recording the next episode because we got to get this done, Chava. Goodbye, guys. This has been the Gabe Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bang and Chava Perivan. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at GabbyRoadTrip.net. Distributed by Heritage Radio Network, the best network in the world for podcasts about food, drink, and agriculture. Agave Road Trip is brought to you by La Luna Mezcal de Michoacán. Take it over, Lou. So I gotta say, like it's it's hard for me to accept a uh, a check from a brand of mezcal, and I wouldn't do it from just any brand. But I really like everything that La Luna Mezcal produces. So in particular, I am so taken with their tequilana. It feels to me like this is the missing link between tequila. And mezcal. It's a certified mezcal made in Michoacan, but it's made in a traditional method, the same way that all of these beautiful mezcals are made. So they've taken this process that has basically disappeared from Jalisco, from the tequila region. Um, and they've brought this heritage back, and they've brought it back in this bottle that I think anybody who's a fan of tequila is going to want to try. Thanks very much, La Luna, for supporting us, and catch you next road trip. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast.